There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Tomorrow's just a dream away Man has a dream and that's the start He follows his dream with mind and heart When it becomes a reality It's a dream come true for you and me So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Just a dream away Hello and welcome to Dream With Mind and Heart every Disney movie ever. Uh, I'm Ryan Silverstein. And I'm Megan Bojarski. Uh, and we'll be your co-hosts uh, on this long podcast project, as we mentioned in our uh, actual first episode. But uh, we thought it would be fun to sort of release this at the same time as our first episode, but have a more you know casual, conversational, helping you guys get to know us a little bit and what we're excited about. Uh, and things we're looking forward to talking to uh, or talking about rather we talked a little bit about it but i wanted to kind of dive into uh why <laughs> like why why this podcast <laughs> i don't know like i i kind of just grew up being a a disney kid um you know back in the in the 90s the like aladdin was the first time i ever remember seeing a movie in the theater i know i'd seen ones before that but like i have a very strong memory of that uh, my mom actually went back and took me to see it a second time, which was like a thing I remember being like, oh, you can you can like do that. Like you can see a movie in the theater <laughs> like more than once. You know, I grew up with uh, Disney Adventures magazine being a big part of my life, which was basically like Entertainment Weekly for kids. But obviously it had sort of a Disney bent. So they would cover things like Jurassic Park and Men in Black and, you know, all the, all the big movies. But there was always like a Disney character on the cover, obviously, you know, Disney movies would get a spotlight in their magazine um you know and kind of growing up you know the first time i went to the theme parks and stuff as a kid like i just for whatever reason my love of history and movies and you know disney has always sort of been there kind of together somehow in the background and sort of coming back to it as an adult and always enjoying the form of animation and everything uh, i've just sort of taken an interest in the history of Disney. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to be said. And I think, you know, one of the missions I think of this podcast is to do this from the, like, I don't consider myself a quote unquote Disney adult perspective. Um, I don't have problems with people who are like, I obviously watch this stuff. I love it. Um, but I think that sometimes comes with a, a very, um, you know, drinking the company Kool-Aid and only complaining about when the price of the theme park tickets goes up kind of thing. And uh, I really want to come at this from a perspective of, you know, actively engaging with the, with, with the films that they put out and, you know, explore them and, and kind of pull them apart. And, you know, to what we alluded to last time, celebrate the things that we do like about them, but also call out the things that are problematic or not as good because not all these movies are going to be good we're going to be covering a couple hundred movies and there's going to be a lot of duds in there and you know I, I i'll have no problem saying that whether it's a you know a classic that people love that doesn't work for me or if it's you know one of these unknown live action movies that nobody really watches and 
you know, turns out to just be kind of a stinker. You know, I have no problem with um, with sharing my honest opinion, at least. Um, and I think, I think Megan, you come from a similar mindset, which for the approach to the podcast, but I would also love to hear more about your sort of, you know, what sparked your interest in responding to my tweets about doing this project? Yeah, I, um, it's kind of a funny story. I was not really a Disney child. I, I was in the, uh, golden age of Disney Channel original movies. So I did Disney Channel far more than standard Disney. Um, but I've I've always loved fairy tales. And uh, as I went through my academic career, I got really into exploring pop culture and how history comes into, you know, the movies that we put together and then how those movies impact our culture and, and the kind of feedback loop of all of that. And I mean, Disney is it. I mean, especially right now, Disney literally owns everything um, or most things. And it's just fascinating to me to kind of look through, you know, uh, going back to, you know, the first major films, going back to, you know, the war propaganda, even going to the modern day. I just loved the idea of kind of exploring something that has been so big for our culture. Um, and I've I've gotten far more into Disney as an adult than I was as a child. Um, I, you know, there are some Disney movies that I absolutely love. I have a, a Disney playlist on my phone for when you just need to listen to those classic Disney songs. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny. So when I saw, um, there is a scholar that I follow on Twitter who retweeted your post. Um, and I saw it and I had been considering doing something new with podcasts lately. And I, it felt like the perfect uh, exploration. I, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of hard to explain. It just, it seemed like this great opportunity to see all these movies that I haven't seen that like I have either never seen been so long that I frequently get shamed for not knowing them. Uh, we'll talk about that with the Lion King more. Um, <laughs> I, for the record, I have seen the Lion King, but I, I slightly hate it for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with the movie itself. Um, but, uh, you know, from the pop culture side of it to just getting to study you know, I mean, copyright law is literally dictated by what Disney did to keep Mickey Mouse. So much of film and television goes down to what standards Disney set up. It's just uh, so I, I kind of come at it from more the scholarly angle of I want to see how we got to the entertainment world we live in now. And Disney's the answer. I mean, it might not be the full answer, but it's certainly a lot of it. So I'm just really excited to kind of dig into all of that. Yeah, no, and I think that's a, a great point. And the other thing I should mention, too, is one of the things that really set my mind on wanting to do this podcast uh, was kind of all the stuff that's been going on recently and, you know, growing up in the in the Michael Eisner era. And, you know, he very much modeled himself after Walt Disney, where, like, you know, they, they started to do the um, the. Uh, I guess they, they were on ABC. They would do like original movies that were like the Sunday night, you know, and he would always like mm -hmm. introduce them and you know, whatever specials like he was he was kind of there. And uh, I read the book Disney War, which is about how he came into the company and sort of his rise and fall with it. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about that era when we get there, which kind of starts in like the mid 80s. Uh, and I definitely want to cover the 
how the corporation evolves, you know, especially, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I have, I have a good, you know, working knowledge of the early stuff. And then a little bit around like Disneyland and the fifties and, and the world's fair. But like, I don't really understand what exactly happened when Walt passed and all, and all that transition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I definitely, but the reason to go chronological is, is to sort of trace that history and that evolution. And, you know, I'm glad that you're going to pull in more and more of this sort of outside perspective and uh, in terms of like how it affects the culture, how the culture affects it. Um, you know, like it's it's weird to think about like, you know, Disney's making movies when like Woodstock is happening and like mm-hmm. all this social change. And, you know, it seems like they were probably pretty insular to a lot of it for a long time. Um but there, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, there's so much to talk about, and uh, I'm glad that we'll have the opportunity to to um, to look at things from multiple perspectives as we go along and bring in different pieces of, you know, uh, history that's happening outside of this, like how it's affecting, you know, like you said, copyright law and how the how the company evolves and changes over time. Uh, I think it's a really, you know, it's not quite a proxy for <laughs> uh, 20th century America. It's it's up there in terms of like one subject that you can really view as a lens to a bunch of different a bunch of different things. Very much looking looking forward to getting into all that. So Megan, what's your favorite film from the Disney animated feature canon? Hmm. Okay, so the Disney animated. Um I this is so self-centered because it's uh it came out the year I was born. It has a character with the same name as me, but I'm uh, I'm literally wearing a shirt for Hercules right now. And it's hilarious because I love Greek mythology and it is the most horrifically inaccurate movie. <laughs> well, Pocahontas, uh, I'm sure, wins that battle, but but second to it, uh, you know, Hercules is is so historically inaccurate in so many ways. It shouldn't even be called Hercules. It should be called Heracles, but I I still love it. I think it's my favorite Disney movie, (laughs) probably at all, but certainly of the animated, uh, despite the fact that most people don't really think about it all that often. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I I guess a recurring theme for this podcast is going to be uh, Megan makes Ryan feel old. um, (laughs) Because, uh, so I was 11 when that movie came out. Um, and so, uh, you know, our perspectives are just a little bit different. Like I missed the whole Disney channel original movie thing. When I was a kid, uh, Disney mm-hmm. channel was a, a premium channel that my parents refused to pay extra for. And so, you know, my brother and I had to wait for those weekends where, uh, you know, you got like the free preview and we would just watch Disney channel like all weekend, <laughs> um, you know, and, and then it would go away and they didn't really have a lot of original, original programming. They had like little kid shows that were original programming but a lot of it was just running their movies and you know random other specials and things that they had done over the years um but it wasn't it wasn't like a thing um yeah you know it was, it was like reruns of ducktales and stuff which was great but um you know it, it disney channel became a, a whole i mean that is a whole other history that i don't you know i don't really have a lot of firsthand knowledge with um i think i was in high school or college when the first high school musical came out Mm. so i kind of just missed that whole that whole era and i'm sure we'll find a way to talk about that stuff uh when we get closer in time um for me you know growing up aladdin 
like I said, had, had a big impact on me. Um, but now, really, when I think think about it, I always end up coming back to Sleeping Beauty, which um, mm-hmm. I I just I love the art style. Um, you know, similar to your interest in Greek mythology, I had a like medieval studies minor um, in college, and so like the art style with it, the way that that story is told, it's just it looks incredible. I think it does a really you know, good job retelling that fairy tale um, with a lot of like visual panache and, you know, fun characters and that final sequence with Maleficent as the dragon and all the green fire and stuff is just amazing. And every time I watch it, I'm just, uh, I'm just impressed by the craft of all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of funny. My first, the first uh, stuffed animal that I ever chose, my first Build-A-Bear, I named Aurora. Because apparently I loved the movie when I was a kid. And I honestly don't think I've seen it since I was like five. Um, I, I know the, the famous dress changing scene. Uh, I obviously know and love uh, Maleficent. And I've seen, you know, the villain tale live action versions of those. Um, but it is just such an interesting thing because it's far enough away from Snow White that it's not quite the same era but it's obviously so, so different from like the, the Renaissance. Just such an interesting kind of place in the history that I don't know. I don't think about it a lot, but it is so defining for Disney. Yeah. And, and in some ways it's, it's sort of a high point, um, you know, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about whenever, when we, when we eventually get there, but it is funny because when you're a kid, you're like lump that in with like the old, like even I as a kid would lump that in with like the old movies and mm-hmm. like there's as much distance between, you know, Snow White and Sleeping Beauty as there is between like Sleeping Beauty and like Tron, <laughs> you know. And so like, it's, oh, wow. You know, it, it's kind of interesting to think about the way that we experience culture, um, you know, especially stuff focused or, you know, at least appropriate for kids, if not made specifically for kids, um, which I think will be another interesting thing to track um, as we Absolutely. go forward. Um and then, you know, I also wanted to ask you about the the live action movies, which if you pick a Disney Channel original movie, you'll just have to explain what it is to me. But that, <laughs> I, that's totally allowed for this um, for this question, even if it falls outside of the strict parameters of the show. OK, well, you just made my job much easier because I honestly haven't seen many of the standard live actions, uh, but I have seen the vast majority of the Disney Channel original movies. Um, I am consistently mocked by all of the the film critic friends I have because I still say to this day my favorite movie of all time is the Disney Channel original movie Sky High. Uh, I, I did which... not know that was a Disney Channel original. That one I have seen because I did a mm. a project a couple years ago um, in 2019. I did a project where I did ranked every superhero movie that had come out from the first X Men movie to the present and that was oh, one cool. of the handful i hadn't seen mm-hmm. um so i so i have seen sky high i did enjoy it but yeah, go ahead <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad because that means i i chose one that uh you'll actually understand i just i loved the the high school dynamics i loved the the life and death of all of it i'm i'm a big fan of you know kind of cheesy garbage television uh, and I feel like that kind of connects with Sky High. I, I am not going to claim that it is the height of cinema, but it definitely, it was a 
supposed to be, I believe, either a trilogy or uh, or four movies. I'm not sure. Uh, but they decided that The Incredibles was something to invest in instead. Uh, that they they just decided that those two couldn't coexist. Uh, and I will forever be bitter about it. Um, I I love Sky High. I love how cheesy it is. I would love to have superpowers. Um, so yeah, I my favorite live action has got to be the the cheesy superhero movie from like 2006 that I own on DVD and literally watch at least once a year every year. <laughs> um, what about yeah. you? Well, it, it it is funny that you know to think back in the early 2000s there was a thing where it was like, well, we can't do too many superhero properties. Like, let's let let's not get carried away. We have one that is really popular. We're not. That's the one we're gonna sort of like you know invest mm -hmm. our attention to, you know. And there's like Disney. Disney alone is putting out what four of them probably again this year, um, or at least yeah. I think in like a two year period there was. The Incredible Sky High and Up, Up and Away, which is also a really good movie, uh, all from like Disney Pixar grouping. Uh, and they basically just decided that The Incredibles was the best of them, which is funny since they didn't make a sequel for 20 years. Um, but uh, yeah, they were absolutely convinced. They're like, mm, you know, some nerd will, will like superheroes, but nobody else. And now we live in the era of Marvel where they own our souls and DC occasionally puts out something halfway decent, which uh, I'm not hating on DC comics, but uh, DC uh, movies have, have some ground to cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And uh, you know, I, I grew up on superhero stuff as, as much, if not more than Disney stuff. Um, you know, the Batman animated series from the nineties, the X-Men mm. animated series, the Spider-Man series, like that was, that was my bread and butter long before there were uh, gigantic movies, um, you know, coming out constantly that like, even I, as a fan, right. you know, uh, haven't caught up with everything. So uh, I can certainly appreciate that for me. Again, I go back to the 50s again. I mean, my my favorite live action Disney movie is the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with uh, Kirk Douglas. I don't know. I saw it when I was a kid. Uh, I grew up on the uh, Disney sing-along VHS tapes, which were just mm -hmm. the like clips of songs from the movies with the words on the bottom so you could sing along with them. And there, I mean, there are definitely movies I haven't seen that I know scenes like backwards and forwards because they were included in that. And I saw the whale of a tale song sequence from Twenty Thousand leagues long before i had seen the movie and i just I had always liked the song and then when i saw the movie and you know i i like jules verne i like that steampunk aesthetic and that movie is probably still the best example in cinema of that aesthetic really working and um you know steampunk diesel punk whatever whatever flavor of that mm -hmm. actually is but um you know that that's probably my favorite but there there's a bunch of newer ones i like like i Johnny Depp of it all aside, uh, I, I'm a staunch defender of the Pirates of the Caribbean, at least the first three movies. Um, <laughs> although I, I do, I enjoy parts of four and five, um, even mm -hmm. though th there's definitely diminishing returns. But, um, you know, I, I have a soft spot for that original trilogy for, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, P Pixar, Pixar is a tough one for me to pick a favorite 
Um, you know, Toy Story was a huge deal for me when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one that I saw like three times in the theater. Cause like I went with my family, I went with like other friends. It may be more than that. Cause I think they also took us to, like a second run theater when I was in like, you know, day summer camp. Um, cause it was just everywhere. Um, and so that, that's a big one for me, uh, because of superheroes. I also love the Incredibles. Cause again, that was a time where we weren't really getting superhero movies that looked like that and felt like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm actually looking over at the shelf where I have all of my Pixar Blu-rays <laughs> stacked up. I get I guess if I really back against the wall had to pick a favorite, I'd probably land on Wally. I think that's that's there's just something really special about those two robots falling in love that really just uh mm. you know just pulls at my heartstrings and speaks to the you know the the sci-fi fan in me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pixar. It's funny. I went over the list that we have of all of the Disney movies and I haven't even heard of most of them, but Pixar, I at least have heard of every single one of them. And I've seen most of them, despite not considering myself particularly well-versed in that. Um, I, you know, when I was a kid, I loved Toy Story 2 specifically. Um, I, and this is something that uh, has kind of stuck around to this day. I really loved a good depressing ballad. And I just loved uh, Jessie's song where she's singing about not being wanted, which is a lovely song for your, you know, eight or 10 year old to be obsessed with. Um, but I just loved the depth to it. I mean, n- nothing against the original Toy Story. It was it was great. And it does have some deep themes, but just the idea of, you know, profound abandonment in this kids movie. I I loved Toy Story 2. It it really stuck with me. Um if I was if I was going with today, I really like Inside Out. I know that it's oversimplified in a lot of ways, but it's also I don't know. I mean, I, Disney and Pixar recently have done such a good job with, you know, bringing in these really deep issues and the concept of depression and trying to toxic positivity let's force down sadness that can't be anything good you know forcing happiness to control everything literally causing depression uh i just thought it was such a good job i I cry over bing bong every time even though i know it's coming now um so I think now, now I, I probably lean into Inside Out a little bit more, but uh, Toy Story Two will probably always be one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, those those are both great. I I do love Inside Out, and I think I think some of the simplicity is on purpose in my in my mm-hmm. opinion. And I think the way that it's given given people who you know may not be super familiar with uh, psychology or you know have been in therapy, I think it. I think it gives you a way to talk about feelings in a way that's like very weird, like weirdly intuitive. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense, obviously, because we know that's not how our brain, you know, our brains don't have little characters running around with our feelings, but like, mm-hmm. it feels right. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, uh, man, there's a quote from Disney that I was reading the other day. And he basically said, you know, in, in our art uh, classes, we teach you to draw all of of these perfect things but i don't want you to draw a cartoon that perfectly captures the human anatomy i just want you to know how to hit something real and inside out 
as, as much as it is so, so wrong, it's also so real. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, I don't know. I, I never had uh, an imaginary friend and that side of things. But I mean, from the, from the little joke of them accidentally throwing the, the stupid commercial jingle in her head over and over to the idea that, you know, these fundamental cores of yourself can be disrupted, all of that. I, it, it is so real for all that it is so ridiculous. And, and I just, I, we'll talk about this for the next few years, I suppose, but I, I really love just digging really deep and finding stupid little details. And uh, yeah, so I, I like the depressed, well, it, it's not even the depressing Toy Story movie anymore. I think Toy Story 4 was considered the most depressing, but the depressing uh, movie in the Toy Story saga and the movie literally about depression. Welcome to me. Um, they're just, it, it's really interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll put it that way. I don't just like being depressed. Yeah, no, and I think, I do think that song is certainly one of the saddest in, in from Toy Story 2 in the Disney canon. Uh, if not, you know, just overall. I mean, it really, it really hits. And, and I think one of the things that, that Pixar in particular does well, and I think this is probably something they learned from you know original disney stuff and sort of kind of took it on and internalized it in their own way um but they really they really want to play all of the those emotional beats you know they want mm -hmm. you know because mm -hmm. when you 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 get that sad feeling the you know the happy ending hits harder because you've been through you know you feel like you've really kind of been through it even in a movie that's like an hour and a half <laughs> yeah um yeah i remember i remember seeing that Toy Story 2 for the first time in the theater and being like, I don't like the way this makes me feel. <laughs> um, you know, because because you don't expect it the first time. And it really is like, like, I feel like it just goes a little bit past the point of most of the other like sad mm -hmm. songs in kids movies. And it like really lets, sits, lets you sit with it for a little bit before kind of bringing you back, back out of it. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things I want to talk about as we're talking about these movies uh, mm -hmm. is you know, as part of their, but yeah, one of the other things I want to kind of trace as we go through is seeing what presence the movies have in the Disney parks. Um, you know, I think one of the things that has certainly been a trend in the parks, especially over the last 20, 25 years has been uh, bringing in more and more of the movie stuff into the parks, um, you know, and a little bit of vice versa. But, you know, I think when I think of the classic, you know, Disney park stuff, I think of the Pirates of the Caribbean. I think of the Haunted Mansion. Um, and obviously stuff from the movies has been there since day one. But I I, I want to go through and sort of, you know, acknowledge or at least trace along like what from the movies has translated into the park. And is that stuff still there? Is it still popular? Like, you know, they just opened a brand new uh, Snow White roller coaster a couple of years ago. Which, you know, it's kind of it's just interesting to me when you think about it, that they're going that far back. You know, they didn't make a a frozen ro roller coaster. Um, you know, they went all the way back to Snow White mm -hmm. to bring that uh, to the parks. So, you know, I had been um, twice as a kid in the 90s. Uh, and then uh, my wife and I went, went when we were dating back in 2012. And then uh, last year we actually went in last february uh in 2022 
to Disney World for a week. And then uh, we actually were in Anaheim for Star Wars Celebration last May. And so uh, we went to Disneyland for the day after the convention was over because the, the convention center is across the street from uh, Disneyland. So we were staying in proximity and seeing a bunch of friends that we don't normally travel with. So um, we kind of made a day of it. So I got like a, a real double dose of the Disney parks after not going for like a decade last year. Um mm-hmm. You know, so I wanted to ask if, if you've ever been, if you have plans to go, if that's a thing that you are interested in at all. I don't I don't know. Yeah. So when I was really little, so I literally don't remember 99% of it. Uh, I have been to Disney World. That's the one in Florida. Uh, when I was five and once a is the Tower of Terror ride, which actually has its own kind of fascinating history. The ride is based on as a Twilight Zone episode, but then they made a Disney movie out of it that was not based on the Twilight Zone, but was based on the ride. And now the current ride is based on that movie. So it's it's got this weird convoluted history. Um, but that's that's honestly the only thing I remember from it. Um, I've never been to California, so I haven't gone to Disneyland, but um, I did a lot of theater and I've lived in Georgia and Alabama. And so I know a lot of people who have done like the college program with Disney. Um, So I I know a lot of people who have worked there and I know a lot of people who go absolutely every year for the nostalgia. I didn't get super into like Disney movies until like high school. So it wasn't really nostalgic to me you know in college because i'd only seen the movies for the last you know six or seven years um i don't know i i'd like to go with someone that would properly appreciate it whether that's you know a a child in the future whether that's just a friend who absolutely loves it um i'd like to see it through their eyes uh i would say i i recommend not taking your children below the age of about 10 because from personal experience we don't remember it um got some really cute pictures for the photo album but uh all all i remember is the one horror ride um but yeah so i actually am am oddly kind of disconnected from the parks because i in my living memory have not uh really experienced them so like i know about them i know they're there but i haven't uh been able to really experience those as like a person who knew what I was talking about. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, uh, my wife and I don't have any kids and don't have plans to have kids, but, um, I, you know, I, I was old enough. I was 10, 10 and 12, I think when we went, when I was a kid. So I was in the age where like, I have pretty strong memories from a bunch of different stuff that we did, uh, down there, but I appreciate them more now the way that they create atmosphere and not like on an engineering level, the technology of the rides, but the way that they tell stories through rides. Tower of Terror is sort of a a perfect example of that. And, you know, the way they're able to to bring those ideas of storytelling uh, into the parks is, is, is really interesting. And then also, you know, we'll be talking about Disneyland a lot, actually, I think because of the way that it sort of drew Walt's eye and a lot of the, um, a lot of the original, you know, Imagineers, as Disney has coined them, 
started out in animation and in TV and, and really mm -hmm. working, um, you know, inventing a new form of sort of storytelling and, and entertainment as they were making Disneyland what it was. And so um, I think that'll help you get more of an appreciation for them. Uh, and then I think when you eventually, mm -hmm. eventually go, I think all that will come, will, will kind of shine through. And one more thing that I want to bring up about the parks and this is, so I, I used to be scared of horror movies and I love them. So I've been catching up on everything. And I love the fact that the Stepford Wives, specifically the book, I'm not sure if the movies do, specifically wrote in the robots that were replacing people were explicitly designed by somebody who had worked at the Disney parks, creating all of the animatronics, cool figures and, and the robots that, you know, are from the movies and things like that. And the idea that this kind of horror series, I'm, I mean, not that many people think of Stepford Wives as that much horror, but it is psychological that it all goes back to the idea that like the happiest place on earth uh, could, could be a source of like total terror. It's just kind of funny to me that people made that kind of connection. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's great. And I think that, again, speaks to kind of the cultural impact of, of Disney where they, you know, it's like this is a company that not only has like, you know, Mickey Mouse, Mouse and they have uh, theme parks and, and all other kinds of movies, but they're also really well known for their robots. Mm -hmm. Like um, that is a that's a that's a very weird and and fun kind of kind of connection. Uh, I'm excited to to wander into all kinds of weird tangents uh, for things as we go along. <laughs> I'm famous at tangents, so I'm sure we'll we'll get some fun ones there. Um, so what what are some of the movies that you're excited to talk about? Like what episodes are you looking forward to doing in the future? So I have a history degree, and I am really interested in the war era. Uh, and kind of the propaganda films that Disney put together for all of that. Um, so I'm really interested in that. And I just know how horrible it's going to be um, because it's the vast majority are just horribly, horribly racist. Um, but it it's, I will find it very interesting, not good, but interesting to kind of see how the studio was doing that. You know, we had the... Um, in in the first episode the who's afraid of the big bad wolf was used about the war but we also have like horrifically racist depictions of japanese people and mm -hmm. and things like that during the war so i'm interested in that and then if you know when walt died and the company was trying to figure out where to go from there then I'm sure we'll never get to it. But I, I would love to see when Disney decided to just buy the rest of culture. Yeah, no, I, I think, and by the time we get there, there may be, you know, new books and things that we don't even know right now, um, which, which is super exciting. Um, you know, for me, I'm definitely interested. I'm definitely looking forward to getting into the live action stuff because there's a ton in there that I haven't seen. Um you know, like I've seen the original Parent Trap and, um, you know, obviously Mary Poppins and a bunch of bunch of that stuff. But there's there's a ton of interesting stuff. I don't really think I've ever seen, especially and definitely not as an adult. I've never seen any of like the Kurt Russell Disney movies. And like mm -hmm. before he started working with John Carpenter, he was mm -hmm. mostly known as a Disney mm -hmm. guy. So um, I think I think that'll be interesting. 
you know, and then again, um, kind of tracing Walt's interest uh, as his eye sort of wanders and he is a restless creative person that's like, okay, we figured out how to do animated movies. Like what's next? Um, Mm -hmm. I think will be a a fun aspect to try to try to keep tabs on. Um, Is there anything in particular you're you haven't seen that you're excited about watching for the first time? Um, Honestly, most of it. Um, I, I, I've seen the princess movies and other than that, I haven't seen the early stuff. Um, but, um, I love Arthurian legend and yet I have never seen the sword in the stone. So I am, I am looking forward to seeing that and kind of comparing it to like Lord Archer that I have, you know, on my bookshelf. So that one's that one's a big one that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that I feel ashamed that I have not seen yet. Yeah, no, that'll be that'll certainly be a fun one uh, to talk about. I think for me, you know, the stuff I haven't seen again is a lot of this, you know, kind of mid-century live action stuff. Um, there's a bunch of weird things in there, but I think, you know, again, going back to the Disney single, <laughs> one of the things that was on there. That I have a distinct memory of is the uh, Davy Crockett song. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I know that there are going to be, you know, not great depictions of Native Americans in those stories, I'm sure. And probably also potentially Mexicans, depending on where they actually go, but I haven't seen them. And um, I've always sort of wanted to just out of that association with the song. That's really all I know about it. And I can probably sing most of it, uh, I won't, <laughs> but I could. And so, <laughs> uh, I'm excited to actually like finally see those and then like have such a greater appreciation of the context when we get there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like you, I know a lot of the songs that I do not know the context to, and it'll be definitely interesting to kind of see where those come from. And if there's, horrible things surrounding them as i suspect there is for unfortunately a lot of it yeah and and i think you know i'm i'm glad that we are both coming sort of eyes open to that stuff and that we'll be able to talk about it sort of you know in context and uh do our best i think to to also point out like you know the the difference between a what was sort of this 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 is going to be a horrible phrase and so i apologize in advance but uh, what was sort of average uh, racism at the time versus like stuff that was like more racist than other things at the time. I'm thinking specifically Song of the South, which was like widely regarded as being problematic when it came out in the 40s, um, you know, versus other stuff that at the time was like accepted or not really talked about. Uh, and then, you know, looking back with a lens is more problematic than it was perceived at the time, but also kind of parsing that with the stuff that they might have done that was problematic when it was released originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this next one is one that you added. Um, so I'm also going to make you talk first, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> favorite Disney character. You know, given that I came up with that question, I should really have an answer to it. Um <laughs> Hmm. I, I'm a villain fan. Um, I've always preferred villains to heroes. Um, so I probably have to go with the villain. Um, I really enjoy Captain Hook, but 
there was some really messed up stuff there. So I, I can't say that's my favorite. Um, I don't know. This is this is surprisingly difficult, given <laughs> that it is a question that I came up with and should have had an answer prepared for. Um, I, I'm going to say Maleficent. Uh, uh, I'm all about the villains and I kind of just think she's amazing. Um, whether you give her the whole backstory and redemption arc or, or whether she's just awesome and can turn into a dragon, I, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with that. What about you? Yeah, she's, she's a great pick. Um, you know, I, I mentioned him on, uh, our, our first episode that we recorded, but I've really have a fondness for, uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and just his weird history and story and sort of how he's come back into the Disney fold. Mickey and that group of characters were never like my favorites when I was a kid, but I've become really fond of them uh, in the in the past couple of years, especially with the um, the latest round of Mickey cartoons that they've done, which are on Disney Plus, and they're very funny and. Um, very like they're all very short you know they, they do the thing where there's like two cartoons in a single like half hour episode if it were airing on on tv so they're all like you know 10 10 minutes i think uh mm -hmm. but they're they're really fun and inventive and sort of remind me of like 90s cartoon network stuff um you know not quite as edgy as you know some of the like dexter's laboratory and powerpuff girl stuff but sort of more in that vein than you might expect from from Disney, so I've, I've I have a growing fondness for them, um, mm -hmm. you know. But but as a, as a kid, I was all about the sidekicks. So you know, I was all about like the genie from Aladdin, and oh. you know, um, like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast, and you know, and any any like funny sidekick character was like that was my that, that that's where I gravitated as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the side characters were so uh, great. I mean. In, in most situations, I feel like the side character deserved more than the hero. <laughs> um, you know, in, in you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast, let's say, I'm not saying that Belle deserved to be kidnapped, nor did she deserve to be forcibly married to Gaston. But she was a bit snooty and thought she was better than everyone. And, you know, that should be taken into account. And then, you know, Lumiere and Cogsworth and Mrs. Potts and everybody else were just doing their jobs. And an 11 year old said no to an enchantress and suddenly they have to be furniture. And I, I feel that we should give them more attention. I feel they, they deserved happy endings more than the heroes. Uh, this is going to be a, a timely reference and I won't be able to, I mean, hopefully I won't be able to make this reference by the time we actually talk about Beauty and the Beast, but Basically, what you're saying is that they're they're the engineers that work at Twitter, and it's not their fault <laughs> that they're now <laughs> stuck in this situation, sleeping in their offices um, because a petulant child uh, made a poor decision. You know, it it's not not a bad analogy. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it it maps surprisingly well, um, actually, <laughs> which is uh, I think says says all that needs to be said about that. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, and then we've, we've talked a bunch about generally our affection for the songs and how much they're a part of, um, you know, I think getting attached to Disney, I think, you know, songwriting mm -hmm. is a big part of it. And so what, what are your, uh, what are some of your favorite songs from the, the, the Disney catalog? Um, 
So I am aware that there are so many things wrong with the Pocahontas movie, but Pocahontas's songs are just amazing. Uh, you know, the the colors of the wind and uh, just around the river bend are are just amazing. Um, and then, and I'm also aware that there's problematic things with this side of things, but uh, Mulan, just everything in Mulan, uh, I'll make a man out of you is just, this is going to sound weird, but theater kids will know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'll make a man out of you was the Bohemian Rhapsody of 90s and 2000s kids. Uh, that song, you know, you can just say one line from it and suddenly a whole group of people is picking parts and screaming it at the top of their lungs. Uh, so that's probably got to be my favorite. Uh, I'll make a man out of you. I, I, you know, and we'll talk, well, maybe. Uh, if, if we ever get to the, the live action remakes, I, I am aware that there are so many other problems with the Mulan remake, uh, but it, it really is a shame that they cut the music because it was so good. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I, that's one I haven't seen in part because I heard they cut the songs and I was like, well, I'm now less interested in that. And that was also pandemic stuff and uh, it's there. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I should go and watch that because uh, I think there are maybe some interesting some interesting aspects, some interesting aspects to it, but I, I haven't quite. Uh, it's also over two hours, and so I, I just also like, just haven't hit play because I'm like, mm, do I really feel like watching a two hour and twenty minute Mulan movie that I've heard is like fine at best? Um, yeah, but uh, I, I was, I was so looking forward to the cultural introductions because obviously Mulan was a movie about a Chinese figure that was made predominantly by white people so i was i was all about adding the the, the cultural elements and musical accuracies but uh there were political problems there was the pandemic there was the lack of songs and the lack of mushu who i get is not historically accurate but he's mushu so so we all love him so yeah the the live action mulan was was unfortunately less than i would have liked with how much i was interested in the idea of it yeah i yeah i think i think that's one that when it was announced i was like oh that has promise because there's a bunch of different like because there's there's things you could do in live action that you know animation can't do that i think that story actually suits kind of rather well um mm -hmm. but yeah none of the none of the live action remakes have been particularly good like i i think the best in my opinion is probably still the Cinderella one that they did relatively early on in that run. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the less that about some of the others, um, the better, perhaps. Um, you know, for me, I, um, I I love a lot of the Sherman Brothers uh, songs, you know, going back all the way back to Jungle Book um, and Mary Poppins. Um, and, you know, I understand that Sippy Doo Doo Da is very problematic and mm. um but it is it's a great song it's unfortunate that uh you know it's it's really pro it's more problematic than i realized until i listened to uh karina Lawnworks um you must remember this season on song of the south and it mm -hmm. opened my eyes to i mean there's some obvious stuff in song of the south but that was one where i was like oh that's actually way worse than i realized it was and so yeah. unfortunately i've removed it from all from from my disney playlist but 
Um, you know, and then again, like some of the stuff that I was introduced from those Disney sing along tapes were the, um, you know, Pirate's Life for me and mm-hmm. Grinning Ghosts from those rides at the parks. Um, those are those are Disney songs I love as well. Um, you know, I think the the Winnie the Pooh theme is like a banger. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's just really good songwriting. It's really fun to sing. Um, it's just really it's really whimsical in a good way. Um, you know, so there, there's a there's a ton of great songs. And then, of course, you know, all, all the Renaissance stuff um, again you know, any sort of lively side character number. So, you know, a uh, friend like me and mm-hmm. be our guest, um, you know, the, um, and, and of course, of course, I have to shout out the, just the concept of the villain song, which mm-hmm. is like a whole subcategory. Uh, oh yeah. And, and of course I'm blanking on like my favorite examples right now, but um Let's see. Uh, be prepared is is really oh Ursula. Uh, oh, Little yes. Mermaid is 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 probably the best uh, villain song out there, and I'm sure there's others, but that's that's yeah. I I just love it. You know, you you don't want Ariel to be to be you know horribly uh you know messed up, but also like Ursula didn't lie to her. Like she she said <laughs> what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and and she said it with flair. <laughs> exactly. Oh, one of my favorite villain songs that I think is totally underrated is Radigan's song from The Great Mouse oh. Detective. Um, there's there's like a line in there about how he's like the world's greatest criminal mind, and the way like the rhyming scheme to get that phrase in that song, which I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know every time I hear it, I'm like, I'm I'm just really impressed you pulled that off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and then this is one that you added. So again, I'm going to make you go first, but uh, most controversial <laughs> Disney opinion. <laughs> okay. So, and this one is, I feel justified if you know my story, but uh, less so if I just state it. Um, my most controversial Disney opinion, um, The Lion King is overrated. Um, I, I know that immediately anyone who has like, started listening to our podcast now is like, oh no, I'm not going to listen anymore. I hate this girl. Um, I I will say that my reasoning is completely valid uh, because I went to school in the era of uh, endless standardized tests. And so once all the testing was done, or if somebody else was doing testing and your class wasn't, we all watched movies. And every single time in every single class, Everyone wanted to watch The Lion King, but we only had an hour long class. So I have seen the first hour of The Lion King about 50 times. I've only seen the ending like twice. Um, And I just, you know, it's it's great. It's beautiful. It's Hamlet. And I like Hamlet. You know, it it's got some good music, but it's just I don't know. People hold it up as the best of all things, and it, it's not that great. That being said, the Broadway version, the amazing puppets, that's a whole other realm. I, I am in awe of everything they do. Uh, but but Lion King itself, the, the original movie, I, I don't know. I don't think it, it deserves the, the place of honor that it's so often given, at least by my generation. So that's I think that's my most controversial 
current Disney opinion? Yeah, I, I think mine. Um, I think I think mine is probably that I strongly prefer both Tangled and Frozen Two to the original Frozen. Um, <laughs> which I'm not saying Frozen's bad. I think it's perfectly fine. <laughs> I like it, but I think for a movie that sort of um, does a little bit of deconstructing the princess fairy tale archetype i think tangled actually does a better job and then i think frozen 2 is like really cool because it brings in a lot of like lore and mythology and world building that you know i'm not gonna say it's missing from the first one but the first one feels very small and insular and the second one sort of expands on that and i think in a way that i didn't really expect and is really interesting so that's that's my thing songs and frozen great story fine um but I, I I I will go to the mat for for Tangled especially uh, anytime. I think that's fair. I I think everybody that was not a small child agrees that Frozen wasn't as good as its hype. Not necessarily that it's bad, like you said, mm-hmm. but yeah, there there are definitely better ones. It you know I find it hilarious that technically speaking, Anna and Elsa are not Disney princesses. Because they made so much money that they would lose money to become Disney princesses. <laughs> like that was literally the marketing strategy. Frozen is its own brand because they would lose money to market them as Disney princesses. I don't think it was worth all of that. I, I you know, it, 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 it's good. It, it's a little bit surface. Also, and, and I'm not saying every fairy tale adaptation has to be accurate. But how on earth did you get frozen out of the Snow Queen? Because I love that fairy tale and it has nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> it did take them like 20 years to get from from to get from the Snow Queen to Frozen. So there's there's room in there. And we eventually, in a long time from now, we will we will talk about it. Um I quick tangent on the whole Disney Princess as a marketing brand thing. Um that that definitely comes out of the 90s like michael eisner era mm-hmm. and at the time i think it's i think it was walt's nephew was like adamantly opposed to it because he's <laughs> like there's no way these characters could ever possibly know each other they live in different kingdoms at different points in time and like like his main objection was like continuity yeah uh, which is like just a very funny thing but obviously kind of a brilliant marketing scheme as a way to uh keep keep those characters kind of going and you mm-hmm. know especially in the in the VHS Disney Vault era make it a thing of like oh I know this character from all these other things but I haven't seen like their movie and so mm-hmm. like you know bomb you need to go buy this VHS immediately <laughs> oh the vault era that's probably why I didn't have a Disney childhood because all of the movies were in the vault when I was a kid yeah i the marketing is is such a a weird little side element of it um and i i do find it so funny that it's like oh well they couldn't possibly live in the same world and then what was it wreck it ralph 2 that Mm -hmm. had all of the princesses in one room i mean that scene I haven't even seen that full movie and I, I can't speak to its quality, but I feel like that scene in some ways was a culmination of the last hundred years of Disney. <laughs> yeah, Like it, it, it really did everything that they had hoped would come out of the Disney princess line. 
it is basically Disney's own Ready Player One um, at, yeah. at times. Um, and it's it's fun. It, it's fun. Um, it's not as, again, like I think the first movie is actually really special um, in terms of video game movies because it's it's one of the best despite not being based on an actual video game. But mm-hmm. And the, the fact that it's called Ralph Breaks the Internet and not Ralph Wrecks the Internet still bothers me. But that's... <laughs> That says more about me, I think, than than it says about the movie. Um, oh, pedantics are always allowed. Um, so, Megan, anything else you wanted to, to bring up or or chat about before we uh, we wrap this up? Hmm. Um. What is one piece of Disney trivia that you know that you don't think most people would know? Oh, let's see. One piece of Disney trivia that most people wouldn't know. Trying to. Ooh, you're, you're putting me on the spot, but this is good. Uh, while I try to think of something, I will also tell a story that speaks to my background as just having too much trivia and Disney knowledge in general. Um, when I was in college, I was an RA and we would have to show up like two weeks before everybody else on campus uh, for RA training. And the one year somebody ha- somebody had brought with them the Seen It Disney board game. Mm-hmm. Um and we played like two games and I was on the winning team both times. And so the third time that we played, they made me be on a team by myself and play the entire <laughs> rest of the room. Uh, and I still won <laughs> oh, uh, because in part because I recognized uh, because I knew that Don Knotts was in the Apple Dumpling Gang, which was a movie I had randomly seen on VHS as a kid. For some reason, I guess we rented it from like the library or whatever. Um but uh but yeah no that's that's uh let's see i'm trying to think of a, a really just like a good one um well i guess i guess this is this is like my favorite weird disneyland fact but like if you're a disney adult a parks person you're probably already aware but um at one of the restaurants on main street in disneyland the um the light bulbs for like the marquee area were alternating uh red and white uh, mm-hmm. but there was a and they they started from one end and they got to the middle uh and they ran into a problem where they would either have to have two white or two red bulbs in a row to make the pattern work mm-hmm. and so they went to Walt and they're like we have this huge problem we miscounted the number and uh and so Walt was like oh just paint one half of the bulb in the middle red and one half of it white <laughs> And it's such that a, works. It's such a. It's still there to this day. You can still go see it. Uh, I think now they leave it as sort of a, you know, a legacy, like honoring Walt and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but that is a really fun one, and it it's a great uh, uh, creative problem solving example that I have brought up at work before in my, in my real life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had never heard that. It's such an obvious solution, and yet not something I would have thought of. Same. I love it. That's great. My my piece of Disney trivia. Um, so in Pocahontas, uh, and I'm bringing it up so much because I studied it a couple of years ago. Uh, so Governor Ratcliffe, uh, who was, you know, horrible. Um, and I will say there's, there's some issues with this, but I still find it fascinating. Uh, Governor Ratcliffe and his, like, second in command his assistant whatever wiggins were both uh the same voice so it's david ogden steers i believe Mm -hmm. um who did the voice of both 
so that literally his yes man is echoing his own voice back at him. <laughs> and I just, I love that. I love creative cast work and the idea that they were like, I, I mean, now it sends the message that the only, uh, you know, colonist who was racist was literally just the governor, which is obviously not true historically, <laughs> but like as a storytelling model, I love the idea that you have a character who believes he's always right and his assistant who is literally his own voice parroting back at him. I just find that great. That that is great. And I do I do love uh like uh voice actors. Uh like right now the the current Star Wars animated show that's airing is is The Bad Batch and uh Dee Bradley Baker voices all the clones in the Clone Wars animated shows. And so this is about, you know, a group of like four or five clones uh, after the prequel trilogy and he voices all of them. And so at the end of every episode, uh, it comes up the like D. Bradley Baker as the bad bad because he voices all <laughs> of the main characters and they all have distinct, you know, slight variations in their voices and different personalities and stuff. And that I mean, that is just like amazing uh mm -hmm. voice work uh but i i did not know that about pocahontas so that is also a fun one yeah um there's all sorts of like situations where the voice actor for a hero in one was a villain in the other i mean winnie the pooh and the snake from the jungle book are the same voice and once you hear it you'll never not hear it uh but for them to do it in the same movie uh was pretty rare so i i find that just really interesting Oh, and another Disney Star Wars connection. Um, uh, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the the, the guy who uh, voices Tigger um, is also the voice of uh, Hondo and Aka in um, a bunch a bunch of the different um, Disney Star Wars animated series, and he is also in one of the. There's a a uh, animatronic robot of him on one of the Star Wars rides in the parks. <laughs> And when, again, when you hear it, you're like, that's definitely Tigger. Like if the <laughs> voice is close enough. It's it's like just a different pitch. Um, but uh, but it, it's very fun. I I love voice actors and so many of them are just so amazingly talented and can do all of the different voices. And I find it hilarious when they use the same voice for multiple things like this is not Disney. This is Nickelodeon, but I find it hilarious that. Uh, in Avatar and then The Legend of Korra, Zuko's grandson is literally just the same voice actor using the exact same tone. It's literally <laughs> just Zuko. Uh, I, I, you know, and he has done other things. He totally can, but they were like, no, his grandson, exact same voice. <laughs> just confuse everyone whose eyes are closed. <laughs> And it's great. And it, it I think that stuff shows that the people who make the stuff love it the same way that we do. Mm -hmm. um, and it almost feels like they put it there for for themselves and for us so that, you know, we can discover it and, and have these conversations about it. Uh, and I think that's as a good a place of any to, to wrap this up if you want to close this out for, for this episode. Yeah. So uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us to one that almost ended Walt Disney's Hollywood career. Credited as Disney's folly, it's the cartoon industry for good. Please join us. 
In the meantime, you can email us at dreamwithmindandheart at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter, DreamMindHeart, and on Instagram at DreamWithMindAndHeart. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as per usual. And a special thank you to Rosalie Kicks for our episode artwork and to Honey Badgers for our theme song.